0: Hello Woodlane community, this is Pastor Brian and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast episode 060. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. In this week's episode, most people like having some sense of control in their lives. We like to at least think we have an idea of what's coming and have a say-so in what happens to us. But what if someone else were in control? Would that throw us off or is there a chance it could be good for us? Let's find out. Most of us like having some sense of control when it comes to our lives. Having some sense of, let's call it having a say in what happens to us, and the the situations that we end up in. If you're mentally nodding your head, don't worry, you're in company, because that's me, certainly. But there are also those times when maybe we wish we weren't in control. That somebody else was gonna get the responsibility. If you ever played sports, and let's say five seconds left in the game, in a basketball game, and the coach huddles everybody together, says, all right, you're going to feed the ball to Jerry, and he's going to wait until there's one second left on the clock, and then he's going to shoot the winning three-pointer, and he's going to make it. No pressure. There are times you want to be in that spot, and there's times when you're like, please, please, please feed the ball to somebody else. I don't want that. I get that as well. I've been there, too. If you've ever flown in a plane, I guarantee you do not want to walk into the fuselage and see me in the pilot seat. Not going to go well. If you're having surgery and you see me walk into the room with scrubs on, run. I don't care if you're having leg surgery, run. Won't turn out well. What is that line between I want to have control in this situation or I don't want to have control? Or I don't want to have the responsibility that comes with it. What is that line between you have control or the potential for control and no, you don't? If you want to avoid a whole lot of agony, it's really important to be able to make that distinction and make it correctly. Let's pray together. God, thank you for blessing us with your word. Use this day to transform our lives, we pray. Amen. Well, as we get closer to Easter, it only being seven days away, believe it or not, we have to recognize that the path to the empty tomb still goes through Good Friday. And that whole event starts off by a whole wealth of events from coming from different angles. There were the Jews who wanted to put Jesus in a tomb because they heard his ideas in, or in their own euphemisms, in their own language. Jesus was saying, I am God. And the Jews were throwing up their hands like, this is not right. And so it's beyond the scope of this morning for me to try and defend that idea of Jesus being God. If that is a hang-up for you, I will gladly join you in discussion outside the realm of being up here right now. But they heard that and like, no way. Put him on a cross. On the flip side, from another angle, the Romans, they were kind of the government leaders. The Jews, the priests, they were the religious leaders. The the Romans were the government leaders. And they were worried about this guy who is starting to get a following. And as people are starting to see, this guy's popular, and he might be a little bit of trouble for us. We need to take care of him. We didn't, to make sure he's not going to have a mutiny against our government. They didn't care about the God part. He can be king of the Jews all he wants. They didn't care about worship or, you know, is he the Messiah, is he not? Their job was to protect Caesar. And one of the passages I'm going to start out with today is going to give those two groups, the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders, all the reason they need to say, this Jesus has got to get gone. We're going to start off with the one maybe you were expecting today for Palm Sunday, John's version of the triumphal entry from John 12. Starts off, the next day, the crowd that had come to the festival, the Passover feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so they took branches of palm trees and went out and met him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus had found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written in Zechariah, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him, as and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign, that the crowd went to meet him. And the Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as these people gather at the roadside, they're looking for a Savior. Catch that word that they were saying, Hosanna. It means, save us. The crowd had something right. They recognized they could not save themselves. Now, the place where they start to go wrong is they thought they couldn't save themselves because their armory wasn't big enough, because their army wasn't well trained enough or strong enough. So, when they asked for a savior, they were looking for a king, as the earthly world would know it. They were looking for a general. They were looking for somebody who was going to overthrow Rome so that they would be rid of their oppression, be a free people. And God would give them so much more. Like they were going to fly into a hurricane on a plane, and they know they've got the best pilot ever at the controls. The fact is, this gift that God is giving them comes with a few stipulations. Those are what we're going to go over today. To start off, hopefully this is not too much of a stretch for anybody, but if Jesus is God, and all of these come with the idea I'm saying this in the way that if Jesus is God and I believe that he is, then that means we are not. We're not the ones who are always in control. So I say one of the ways that we can avoid agony, avoid distress, is to recognize there are some places where we have some control and there are some places we just don't. Now that can be both a scary thing and a comforting thing at the same time. Let's take the idea of telling somebody, about Jesus, even a loved one. Whether or not they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior does not depend on your ability. That can be a comforting thing. I do not want the responsibility of my three children and their eternal destiny built on whether or not I am good at persuading somebody. I don't want that kind of responsibility. I know there's a part where I have that among this community as your pastor, but the comforting part is it's not entirely built on how good I am or how good you are. Jesus has control over that, has had control and has had it worked out since before we even came onto the scene. We can take comfort in that. Now, this is not to say that we live our lives by throwing the dice on everything that happens. There is a place for us to work to keep ourselves healthy, to build our relationships, to you know, not just live totally fatalistically. But there is a flip side to this as well. As much as there is comfort in Jesus in control, it also means we don't have control over some of the things that we end up dealing with, some of the situations we end up in. We don't have control over who gets diagnosed with a terminal illness, we don't have control over who loses their job or whose marriage falls apart. Again, this is not permission to just throw up our hands and, and live our life by the roll of a dice or a flick of a coin. But that can be a scary thing. But there is still truth out of Matthew 5. Maybe we can hang on to. This is Jesus saying, He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There are some things that are just not under our control. That's okay. Scary as it might be. But before I go into the next idea that I have, I'm going to kind of pull back into this the theme that has been running this series that we've been doing of one-on-one intersections between one person and Jesus. Just them. Because this is an episode that I'm going to cover that goes on a few days after Palm Sunday. But before we get to Easter itself comes out of Matthew 26. This is the passage that's listed in your bulletin. Jesus talking one-on-one with the high priest. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, this fellow said, speaking of Jesus, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. And the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard the blasphemy. What is your verdict? They answered, He deserves death. Yes, this is still the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. If Jesus is God, something has to change in us. Now let me contextualize this conversation that is going on between Jesus and the high priest. So he is, Caiaphas. Top dog in the temple. I mean, religious leader, as powerful as they came, man-wise. He is living in a life, a role that has a lot of power, and a life that has a lot of luxury. Let's put it that way. He's the ruler of the temple, if you will, and so he's got probably the cushiest job in Jerusalem. If this Jesus is starting to stir things up, that Rome is going to hear about it. And Rome's going to start getting nervous. The high priest knows, I need to squash this. Because if I can't keep this guy at peace, keep him contained, Rome's going to find out. Rome's going to start asking him, because he's in charge, hmm, why can't you keep this Jesus of Nazareth under wraps? Why are you letting him bother us? And Rome is going to come in, probably knock him out of power, and he's going to lose that cushy lifestyle. The fact is, If Jesus really is God, then something has to change in us. This is a simple way to say, a simple example, because it talks about somebody else to say, if Jesus is God, we bow to him, not the other way around. The high priest, I honestly believe, did not get that. And that gave him all the motivation it would need, besides the blasphemy itself, because yeah, sure, he can blame it on that. But the fact is, if Jesus is God, the high priest has to bow to him. Things change. Paul lays it out in Philippians 2 when he says, Therefore, God highly exalted Jesus and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend. Yours, mine, the high priest, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. The fact is, the high priest is not calling the shots anymore. And if Jesus is our Lord, and if he is your Savior, he is also your Lord. We cannot split the two. We cannot have one without having the other. If Jesus is your Lord, we're not calling the shots either. Now, that can be a tough one to deal with. That infringes on our, hey, I want to have some control. I want to say what I want to do. What is going to happen to me? I believe, honestly, with some of the people that I've talked to that keep Christianity at arm's distance, this is one of the things that makes them do that. If Jesus is who you say he is, that means I'm not king of my own universe. I don't like that idea. So you keep your Jesus out there. It's a hard truth. But the good thing is, it's not the final truth. Because if Jesus is God, then there is hope. I know if you've been around for a while, you hear I keep bringing up this theme. But I will keep bringing up the theme of hope until there is the day that we don't have any need for hope anymore. When that day comes, there's going to be a lot more else going on because, you know, heaven. Then we get to see hope face to face. But I digress a little bit. Verse 64, Jesus said to the high priest, you have said so. He says, yeah, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, this sounds like one of those abstract, ethereal kind of verses. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? What does that do for me while I'm here trying to live this life day to day? How does this impact me? Well, the fact is, it reminds us that Jesus has authority. And Jesus has power. Now that leads to hope for this very reason. That very Jesus, who has that authority, who has that power who has that strength and that might, as we sung about in various ways across the service, he left heaven for you. I only showed a, a tiny bit of Philippians 2, but that passage starts off the, saying he considered the glories of God were not worth, he didn't have to hang on to them, so he humbled himself, even to the point of being a servant, a slave, even to the point of death. Left all those glories of heaven Left all those glories that the high priest would not leave. And those were just earthly glories and gold and nice outfits and all that sort of stuff. He left all of that for you. Is it hard to give up some of that control, to let it go to Jesus? Yeah. Maybe, as I've said, I'm guilty of that. But this very Jesus is the one who loved the outcast enough to be with them, to give them new life. He loved the despised and the sick and the terminal enough that he would touch them, even though it meant he would be unclean himself, so that he could bring healing to them. He's the one who called the bad news bears to be on his team, unqualified as they were, making mistakes as they were, imperfect as they were, foot and mouth as they were. He said, I love you guys enough. I want you on my team. The crowd's They thought they had hope in this image of who their king was going to be, who their savior was going to be, and Jesus didn't fit the bill. So they put him on a cross. The high priest wasn't going to have any of this Jesus is God, Jesus is king thing, so he put him on a cross. The question of the day, because we get to be safe when it's about them, but the question of the day is, what will you do? Will you call him your Savior and your Lord? Is there an area of life, and I have to ask myself the same question, is there an area of life where we choose one adjective over another? Jesus, be my Savior about this, but, you know, don't be my Lord. I'm Lord of this part of my life. As we come into Easter, as we start to go through this roller coaster that this week is, and it's that by design, if you will, this is the time to set that straight. To pray, Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Take control over this part of my life, whatever it is that we try to hold on to and think I've got control, I want control, I know what's best. Jesus, you take control over it. Lead me well. Lead me through the way that you are good and pleasing to God and perfect. Is that difficult to do? Absolutely. It's a tough prayer. It's a scary prayer. But the very Jesus who left heaven to walk among us gave us his Holy Spirit to get us through those day-to-days when it's tough, when we want to hang on to the control, when we want to hang on to a certain part of our lives and not let the king of the universe have it. And as scary as it is, even with the Holy Spirit, as scary as it is, when we do that, and we say, Jesus, be Lord, be Savior, and be Lord, we get to experience The love, the life, the healing, the joy, like no other. Like we could never pull off ourselves if we were the ones in that pilot seat. Thanks again for listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9:45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodland Worship Podcast.